Talking industry, topical debate from the world of engineering, automation, and manufacturing. A DFA Manufacturing Media production. IIoT, Communications, and 5G, Part 3. Brought to you by Drives and Controls Exhibition, the leading trade show for automation, power transmission, and motion engineering. Visit drives-expo.com Right, um, and we didn't mention it, but you guys are asking, what does that have to do with 5G? Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the yeah. solution has to do with the fact that AI and AR and MI and all these big technologies happen to have developed roughly at the same time that 5G came to place and so digital transformation is now happening because of multiple technologies, not a single one. And that's again, an example of the big mistake operators are doing. They're trying, because all they do is connectivity. They're trying to overstress the significance of what they do rather than what the ecosystem can do. And, uh, and, and I think this is where the, there is the massive divide between solution providers and service providers in that respect. Yes, it's, it's wrong end of the telescope in a way, isn't it? Excellent. Um, Jonathan, you've, you've listened patiently. Um, uh, you see a lot of people solving problems um, and taking into account that discussion about problem prevails rather than the technology and um, the extent of customers expectations for 5g at the other end i suppose where do you see everything fitting neatly into place well i think i can probably just reinforce what gilad uh, has just said um nobody actually wants to buy a drill they want to buy a hole and um yeah uh, and this is an enabler for an, an and a lot of the industries that we have seen this technology beginning to, to creep into are in a number of areas. One is where um, uh, margins are very tight. So the agriculture, particularly the, the glasshouse industry, um, where you've got vast uh, acreage of, of growing um, glasshouses that you need to monitor temperatures, nutrients and uh, conditions of, of plants. Margins are very tight. You can't afford to have lots of people. So cameras um, and remote sensing come into play there. And when you try to, when you work on very tight margins as people are in the food industry, then automation of that type comes uh, with great benefits. And then I think the other area that we see an awful lot of this um, coming into, and it started off as uh, monitoring over, over the internet, um, not so much over private networks, but data integrity obviously is becoming more important as is ones where there's a legislative element. So we have a client in the water monitoring industry. They are responsible for controlling Legionella and uh, in hospitals and public buildings. And they obviously want to very closely monitor the temperature and the chemical dosing in those in those water systems to ensure they're meeting the legislative requirement. Um, so I think there's great opportunity and, and we are seeing a lot of our clients in a, in a very diverse range of, of industries starting to want to use uh, more IoT and, and 5G technology to uh, give themselves both a competitive advantage, but also to take out cost. And I think those are the, the key areas that we see them 
them operating in. Thank you. I, I mean, you, you say a very diverse range of, of market sectors. Are there ones that you would pick out as being particularly active or, or is it not possible to do that? I, I think the agriculture, the, the industrial agriculture market um, is very much um, starting to look at uh, how, because there's, there's so much um, expertise that's required, if you're going to walk, walk a, um, a, a greenhouse looking at tomato plants, for instance, the expert will look at the, um, the leaves, they'll look at the colour of the leaves, um, they'll be able to identify diseases in those leaves. But these um, industrial tomato growers are literally hundreds of thousands of square feet uh, of, of, of glasshouses, and therefore a lot of the expertise has, has, has moved geographically. COVID has done an awful lot to move the expertise around. Um, and so there maybe isn't the expertise existing in the place where you want it to be, but the expert could be could be used to to help them program an AI system that can remotely monitor leaf colour and leaf texture, or it could be that it's used to identify potential uh, problems and then it transmits a, a picture of that uh, that leaf to the expert who can then take a more expert view. Uh, food and beverage again. I think they, Jonathan, worked... can, I, can I jump in there? Sorry, because the other yeah. part of that, just to add to yours, I don't know if you've been involved in vertical farming. So oh, they basically, they have, they have a, they have a kind of a, a, a small, a very small footprint, but they, they have a farm that's on a, that's on a, a conveyor, a rotational conveyor, and they can grow leaves, say a basil leaf, on one one plinth, one platform, and they can grow them large to small on the same one meter square area. Because mm. because industry, what a, what a chef wants and what a supermarket wants is different. So they 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 are now getting to the stage that they can they can force grow or they can design on the same on the same footprint leaves that will suit two, two different markets. It's, and and it's I've recently got involved in it and it's an absolutely phenomenal area of development, one you would never have thought of. And I think that's um, that, that's one of those areas. And I think someone's just said there that five G is already getting used in smart farming. Yeah, very much so. Vertical farms are, are, are an interesting area, um, and uh, as I say, anything with a with a high legislative element to it, safety industry, um, water safety industries, but we're seeing an awful lot because of the the demand for proof and information. Um, and due diligence around, uh, particularly around things that affect people's safety. Yes, excellent. Well, I think that that leads well into our uh, going into a little bit more detail now about the uh, the R and D funding side of things, and then after mm. that, we'll have a general uh, wrap up session, just answering a few of the questions that have come in. I, I, I did notice, though, Jonathan, that you put in a link to the. Uh, the UK government digital catapult 5G initiative. So, so maybe that's a place to start as you as you go into this this section. Yeah, well, I think that was really just to highlight the 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 desire of, of the UK government, and I'm sure European governments and and in the US to to develop this type of technology and to be to be leading in this technology. Um, and there's a number of funding opportunities that come through either. Catapult, I think I put a link into Innovate UK, um, which again is another source of funding for, for businesses. Um, because when it comes to R&D tax credits, uh, R&D tax credits obviously are designed for those companies that pay corporation tax. So therefore are limited companies 
Um, but there are a number of startups that maybe are not limited companies and the, the Catapult and Innovate UK is a good source of funding for them. Um, I just picked up on a few things as, as the, the various speakers were, were talking. Um, and what I think things that's really important is that um, failure gets funded by the government. Uh, failure is actually a very, very positive thing when it comes to R&D tax credits because it shows that you are on a journey of development. And any project that has that has failed generally is 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 meat and drink to to us from a uh, from an R and D tax credit perspective because it shows that uh, uh, that concept prototype fail redesign redevelop prototype again success that journey is the one that, that the government's particularly interested in failing so it's very important to remember that you may have a project that never even got off the drawing board proof of concepts. Uh, are even uh, even funded, but they're they're an important part of the journey and still attract the funding. The other thing to remember is that um, loss making businesses can still attract the funding. Um, you don't have to make a profit uh, if you're a loss making business. You've tried, you've been trying something for five years. You've made a loss for the last five years. Very good example. Not not in this five uh, G space, but it's in the pharma space. We have a company that's been loss making for five years, but developing drugs in the in the cancer space. Um, and they, they've, they've attracted a refund to their, uh, um, a credit to their, their corporation tax every year, and that accumulates. Interesting if you use subcontractors. So all of, all of the, the panelists, all of your clients may ask you to develop something on their behalf. If you develop something on their behalf, then the money they've paid you becomes eligible for, uh, for a credit. And I picked up on one of the things, I think it was the thing that, that Gillard said, that hacking is uh, is an issue and anything anyone's been hacked and then has remodified redesigned and redeveloped their system to make it more robust towards hacking that again is uh, is an appreciable improvement to your system and therefore can attract funding so it's there's a there's a vast spectrum of design and development work that can attract the funding and if you're particularly in the limited company space but if you're not in the limited company space then there's still funding available to you through the catapult through Innovate UK. But a lot of the funding that comes to Innovate UK is on a competitive basis. So if you've got a project that you want to potentially have a look at, you're a small business, you can put yourself forward for one of these digital competitions. Um, there's a there's a, an application process, but then there's, there's government money to be won and it's grant money. So it's um, it, it comes without ties. You don't have to pay that, pay that back. So that's, these are really important areas that can fund startup businesses and, uh, and can, can fund ideas. And that's really what the, the government, both in the UK and Europe and in the US, are all trying to do. They want to provide the, the environment that will help these um, uh, emerging uh, technologies grow and, and take a real foothold in the industrial heartland. Thank you, Jonathan. I, I, one, one question for you, um, which, which comes to mind, is the difference between large companies and small companies when they're yeah. uh, interested in these projects i mean would you be more interested in a very large company you know a nidec type nidec type that you know might have a major project and therefore there'd be more to reclaim or all the small and medium-sized enterprises which collectively are so relevant to our economy and i think everyone's economy but they're only sort of small bits individually. How, how do you deal with those two different types of company? So 
So, so, so we actually have um, three distinctly different approaches. We have a, a um, we have a, a small claims process which deals with with very small businesses which are maybe running one one project, uh, and we've got an efficient way of of ma managing those um, so that we get the get the uh, the projects put forward and we get the reports generated quickly and easily. And then and the core of our business is SME. The ratio, I would say, in, in our business is probably about four or 500 SMEs to every um, every two or three large company claims. Although the government is really putting an emphasis on large company claims. But we, we focus mainly on the SME space. And a definition of, um, of SME for, for our detached credits generally is an SME is below 500 employees. So that, that covers a vast swathe of, of, of and incidentally covers the vast swathe of the innovation because and to be honest, large companies are less good at doing innovation for all the ROI conversations that I've seen going on in the chat. How do I do a business case for this? But the, the small businesses are a lot more dynamic, a lot more nimble when it comes to doing research and development. And a lot more driven so we tend to find the majority of them are SMEs and I'd say the, the majority of our work is SME although we have a, a team that work particularly on what's known as the RDEC claims the large company claims which tend to be more involved have to be more on a project managed basis but they uh, they do yield large claims but they take an awful lot longer to push through. This Talking Industry episode is brought to you by Drives and Controls Exhibition the leading trade show for automation, power transmission, and motion engineering. Visit drives-expo.com. They, the SME is also the hardest to identify, presumably, because they're, um, they're, there's a lot of them, but they, they're operating all over the place and not necessarily as visible. Yeah, and we, um, and we operate, we tend to sort of um, have different focuses. Our, our BD team will focus on different uh, different areas of, of innovation. You know, we, we focus a lot on, uh, on engineering technology, aerospace technology, because those are very um, easy areas to identify the R&D, agri-tech um, and, um, and fintech as well. We, uh, we've got a number of clients in those. So we've got a sort of a subject matter expertise approach to these as well. So we can we can really help businesses that approach you go, we don't know whether we do R&D or not, can you help us? And we, we spend a lot of time just talking to and networking with, with customers and, and identifying the R&D that's, that's claimable in their businesses. Thank you. Do the panel tend to see more companies using commercial cloud or connectivity solutions or companies doing more development themselves there's several aspects to that question, but um, I'd be interested to hear Gilad's answer and then we'll ask the others too. Well, it's a great question. Um, for us specifically, our 5G software is either available, as we said, over Azure in the technology they call Azure Stack Edge or in larger data center over VMware. And by trying to kind of keep it very, very crude, the, the mid-market, the Mittelstaaten in Germany type should probably from economics go the, the public cloud way. Uh, but in reality, because they're more cautious about their information, they're building the expensive DCs. And the big businesses who have the money to build 
the big uh, private data centers, they're actually going the cloud way because they're controlled by very strong CFOs. So it's, count, it's actually kind of counterintuitive. So in that respect, I don't know what's, what's happening, but what happened is that smaller businesses should actually go more into the cloud, if you will, because they're, they're, they're in the sweet spot of the pricing mechanism of these big giant clouds. And yes, they need to address security and their uh, fears, some of them rational, some of them not rational. But as we said, what we're actually seeing is the total reverse in that matter. And, and even we're seeing a different phenomena is that the smaller businesses are the ones who tend to overspec over the bigger businesses, right? Because they try to kind of say, we've got the budget now, we're gonna do it now. We don't wanna put it into pieces. So it's, it's actually, a, uh, some of the answers might here be more in the psychological domain that there are in, in the technology and ROI. Thank you very much. Prakash, do you have anything to add to that? Sure, I think, uh, I, I agree. I think if you're, uh, if you're a small company or even if you're a big company and you're starting small projects, uh, and if your cost is, is the important factor, then I, I think the public cloud is where you what's going to get you there. And, and you know, if you, if you have a certain uh, you know, niche product that you're trying to make where you know, you know, keeping all to yourself might be very, very important, then that's a different story. But for most, most products, I think, you know, at least to get, get started, you know, you know, going to public cloud is just the, just the easiest way, the lowest cost way. Thank you. Chris, do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, but it's not what happens. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so something no one's mentioned today is edge technology. And I would, I, the, yeah. most, the most I see out there in industry is edge. Uh, people are putting in dedicated resource at their factory and, and sending the data there. That's what I see most of. And that's big and small organisations. That's uh, blue chips right down to like single line organisations that have only got one production line. So yeah, that, but it's there and people people are talking about it, but they're just not using it. Yeah, that's a great point. And actually when we meant Azure, we meant Azure Edge services. Right, so yeah. And I agree with you that this is where a lot of the confusion happens because it's public cloud, but these servers are literally sitting in my domain. It's a whole new direction that is some, sometimes hard to grasp in terms of where is really my information? Where is it physically based? I, I, th I think as, a, as an individual, don't, don't, not, not as, a, as, as an engineer, just as an individual, when, you, when you're looking for a new pair of shoes online and then all of a sudden, like, like your, your Amazon account can advertise it to you, back to you, that puts people off. That, that's big brother. And that's, that's where CEOs and CFOs and CTOs are seeing this happening and they're saying, let's just keep that data in-house. Exactly what Prakash says, even if it's not overly complex or secure, no one wants to give their data away. Uh, and and, that, and and I see mostly as a as a systems integrator, very rarely do we deliver a, a cloud based solution. It's very interesting. I mean, in, I think, uh, in, with the uh, you know with the uh, specifically with the IoT stuff though, you you can have both in uh, you know, edge based you know yeah. within the edge, but you can also like do you know through the cloud you know because 
you look at this, you know, Azure and AWS, they have they have very, very good security built in there, you know, the MQTG transfer and yeah. you know, from all that's all built in. So I think it gives, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to promote them because I don't, it doesn't bother me, but I think, you know, at least for the people that are participating in this uh, the webinar here, I think if you're trying to start out small, I I would I would consider you know something like those because it's just at least in my experience it's just a lot easier for you to get going you know whether you're doing as IoT and because you can't just analyze there only you have to go through uh, your you know to your uh, cloud and then try to do something with it so it's it's going to be cost effective for you and it's going to be easier to implement those now once you are done with that you can always decide to do something else if you wanted to. I was just going to quickly interject at how interesting it is that people are suspicious of the cloud when it comes to industrial data. And this was mentioned um, very early talking industry we did about a couple of years ago, and yet they're quite happy to wave their credit cards around at uh, you know the local fuel station or, or whatever. And it seems there's a, a rather strange difference between what people think when they're dealing with their own personal information and um, how protective they are of industrial information. I'm, I'm not sure why. Uh, maybe Michael's got a view. <laughs> he said throwing him a curveball. So what we see, so for us, what we see is um, OEMs, machine builders, they, they, don't, they don't have any problems to go to public clouds. But as soon as we arrive on the end users factories, they, they tend to... Uh, to go to their private uh, solutions and and they buy uh, sometimes they even either they develop their own system or they they buy a existing system and they put it on their own server uh, but they, they don't like to use uh, public clouds and yes. uh, if i can add to that uh, michael i think one of the big issues is a lot of companies right now they're collecting data could be through sensors, through the devices, it could be through many, many things they're collecting data, but they don't know what to do with it. I think that's the problem. That's why yeah. they, they want to hold on to that is that if they knew what to do with it, because they know it's very important. They know they're going to solve some problems with data. They, they know all that. So, so in holding on to data is just so important because they know that at some point when 5G and machine learning and all these become everyday things, they know that they're going to make money. So, so they want to hold on to data. What does NIDEC do in its manufacturing processes? What do you do with your data? Is that cloud-based or is that localized? It's, it's, it's both. So a lot of times, uh, you know, your, your, your ACE devices are collecting data a lot faster and a lot more data. And then they're probably doing some, they're doing some analysis and they're, you know, like they're doing some algorithms there and then they're sending some data to the cloud. So it, de it depends on, um, you know, what you're trying to do, but mostly you don't send every data out. Now with the, with the 5G though, see what it does give you advantage is that now you can send a lot more data out. And so you can collect all that data from those devices on real time and then send it back. So you can, your, your um, you know, the, the time that is, is a lot smaller for response time, but, but because now that's not available so much, we collect more data, but then we only send subset of that to the cloud for analysis because there is more analysis done at the is 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 network as well. And if I, if I can just add something in here, it, it's perhaps one for the uh, for the CFOs, but there is a uh, 
a, a little known um, tax credit based on data risk. So, and companies can, uh, with large amounts of data uh, that's at risk can, um, can claim a tax credit for that risk. Uh, I'm not gonna go into the details of how you, how you do it now, but it, it's available. So if you've got a company that's holding a large amount of data, then there's a, there's an opportunity to uh, to take a um, a credit to to offset any any risk of that data breach. Brilliant. Well, we've we've been going now for uh, for an hour and thirty five minutes, which has certainly exceeded our expectations. Um, and yet uh, we've covered in depth quite a few topics, and yet we seem to have also just been scratching the surface. There's there's a lot more discussion to go, I think. So uh, the discussions will continue small steps, I think. So finally, I'd, I'd like to thank all of our panelists from Israel, from the US, from Scotland, from France, and last but not least from little old Essex over the river. Um, thank you very much indeed for your contributions. And I think it's been really worthwhile and we'll see you again soon. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned across all podcast apps, follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters and keep up to date at talkingindustry.org.